1: and thank you for standing by welcome to the emira second quarter 2021 analyst call at this time all participants are in the listen-only mode after the speaker presentation there will be a question and answer session to ask a question during the session you will need to press star 1 on your telephone please be advised that today's conference is being recorded if you require any further assistance Please press star zero. I would now like to hand the conference over to our speaker today, Mr. David Besensen, Vice President of Investor Relations. Sir, please go ahead.
2: Thank you, Renz, and thank you all for joining us this morning. AMIRA's second quarter earnings release was distributed this morning by Newswire, and the financial statements, management's discussion, and analysis, and the presentation being referenced on this call are available on our website at amira.com. Joining me for this morning's call are Scott Belfour, AMIRA's President and Chief Executive Officer, Greg Blunden, AMIRA's Chief Financial Officer, and other members of AMIRA's management team. Before we begin, I'll take a moment to advise you that this morning's discussion will include forward-looking information which is subject to the cautionary statement contained in the supporting slide. Today's discussion and presentation will also include references to non-GAAP financial measures. You should refer to the appendix for definitional information and reconciliations of historical non-GAAP measures to the closest GAAP financial measure. And now, I will turn things over to Scott. Thank you, Dave, and good morning, everyone.
3: This morning, we released our second quarter results, and I'm pleased to say that we continued to see solid results and steady growth in our business. We delivered quarterly adjusted earnings per share of $0.54, an increase of $0.06 over last year, and year-to-date adjusted earnings per share of $1.49, up $0.22 over 2021, despite facing pressure from foreign exchange rates. Our team also continues to safely execute on our capital program and we're on track to complete our 2.4 billion dollar 2021 plan the team is also making significant progress on the regulatory front last friday we filed a settlement agreement related to our request for a general base rate increase at tampa electric unanimously supported by all intervening consumer parties it's a balanced agreement that supports Tampa Electric and a mirror strategy to advance cleaner energy and investments in grid modernization and reliability, all the while never losing sight of affordability for customers. As you know, Tampa Electric has been significantly reducing the carbon intensity of its generation mix with major investments in solar and the Big Bend modernization project. Today, Tampa Electric is Florida's top producer of solar energy on a per-customer basis. This three-year agreement allows Tampa Electric to continue this progress, providing rate support for investments already made, as well as those planned over the period, giving us confidence in our ability to continue to deliver on many fronts. If approved, we'll see an increase in base revenues of $122.7 million starting in 2022, these are all US dollars, a further US $90 million in 2023, and US $21 million in 2024. The agreement also creates the Clean Energy Transition Mechanism, which will allow Tampa Electric to collect revenue of $69 US million dollars annually over the next 15 years, starting January 1st of 2022, to recover the full carrying and dismantlement costs of Big Bend Units 1, 2, and 3. This, together with the base rate increase in 2022 that I mentioned, means rates will increase by US $191 million starting January 1st of 2022. And with the follow-on additions in 23 and 24, the agreement also provides for a 9 to 11% ROE band, with a midpoint set at 9.95% for rate-making purposes, and no other change, no uh, no change to our equity thickness. Thank you to the team in Florida for their hard work in reaching this outcome. In fact, this agreement reflects the hard work of all parties involved in securing rate certainty through the end of 2024 for Tampa Electric customers, while positioning the utility to make continued investments in resiliency, customer solutions, and a greener energy future. Tampa Electric Settlement is the third important rate case in our U.S. utilities over the past year. As you'll recall, People's Gas and New Mexico Gas concluded rate cases last year. This is in addition to the successful application to recover fuel costs associated with winter storm URI in New Mexico, and a mid-course adjustment for fuel cost recovery at Tampa Electric. This track record is a testament to the caliber of our regulatory teams as well as the quality of the regulatory jurisdictions where we operate. It also speaks to the collaborative approach we take that ensures balanced outcomes for all involved. I know this is not easy work, and I want to take a moment to thank all those involved for their expertise and efforts. We also announced another significant milestone on Monday morning. Delivery of the Nova Scotia block of clean energy from the Muskrat Falls hydroelectric project will begin to flow through the maritime link to Nova Scotia power customers this coming weekend. This is a significant step that brings us closer to the shared goal of having 80% of Nova Scotia's energy coming from renewable sources by 2023. The Maritime Link was a bold idea that will deliver clean energy to Nova Scotians for generations to come. It's part of a long-term vision to support the energy transition in this region. And we see the Maritime Link as the first step in the regional transmission interconnections that are critical to support more local renewables and enable continued carbon reduction in Nova Scotia, all moving us towards achieving the vision to achieve net zero CO2 emissions by 2050. The Maritime Link project was completed on time and within budget. It was an absolutely massive project executed safely and expertly by the Mira team and many partners who helped make it a reality. Thank you to the Mira team and all our partners and stakeholders who share our commitment to a greener energy future through building stronger regional connections. This project is the result of the vision and hard work of so many, including Indigenous partners, provincial governments the federal government, for and countless local, regional, and national partners. The commencement of the Nova Scotia block flowing on the maritime lake is a significant part of delivering on our climate commitment. With the Nova Scotia block, Nova Scotia power is on track to generate approximately 60% of its electricity from renewable sources by 2022. This helps deliver on AMERA's overall commitment to a 55% reduction of CO2 by 2025. And in Tampa Electric, we continue to build out the continue the build out of our solar program with 5.3 million panels currently up and operating, and another another 700,000 to be installed this year. In early July, we released our 2020 sustainability report, which highlights our progress on all our environmental, social, and governance commitments through December 31st of 2020. The report captures not only the progress we're making but the commitment from our team to advance our strategy. We continue to enhance our ESG disclosures and remain committed to transparently reporting on the factors that are most important to our investors and stakeholders. Meanwhile, however, COVID continues to challenge many of our communities. While Nova Scotian case numbers remain low, case counts in Florida are concerning for everyone. Sadly, we lost one of our employees yesterday Due to complications related to COVID-19. This tragic loss illustrates that this pandemic is far from over. This is a difficult loss for our entire team and we extend our condolences to Bill's colleagues and family. I want to thank our employees for continuing to do their part, not only for our customers, but also for each other. Whether that is Getting vaccinated, continuing to follow public health guidelines, and always keeping health and safety first of mind. You've heard me say it before, but our response to the pandemic has really highlighted the strength of our team and strategy. Amira is on solid ground. With significant progress on the regulatory front, we have good visibility into our cash flows for the next few years. And this allows us to focus our attention on growing the business by continuing to invest in our strategy of safely delivering cleaner reliable, and affordable energy to our customers. Before I hand it over to Greg to walk through our financials, I'd like to officially welcome Gil Quinones to Amira's board of directors. Gil is currently president and CEO of the New York Power Authority. His 30-year career extends across regulated and unregulated utility markets, public utilities, and state and local governments. <clears throat> he is an industry, industry, energy industry leader with deep experience in driving innovation, new technologies, and cleaner energy solutions for customers. Welcome, Gil. We're fortunate to have you on the Amira team. And now I'll turn you over to Greg to walk you through our financial results. Greg?
4: Thank you, Scott, and good morning, everyone. This morning we reported second quarter adjusted earnings of $137 million and adjusted earnings per share of 54 cents. For the six months year-to-date, adjusted earnings were $380 million, and adjusted earnings per share was $1.49. Our adjusted earnings exclude mark-to-market adjustments that I will discuss in a few minutes. AMIR's adjusted earnings per share increased for the quarter and year-to-date despite foreign exchange headwinds of $0.04 and $0.08 respectively. The Q2 increase of $0.06 per share was driven by by a strong quarter in the gas utilities and infrastructure segment led by People's Gas with the segment contributing $10 million U.S. dollars more than in Q2 2020. People's Gas continues to benefit from new rates and continued growth in its customer base. The timing of preferred share dividends also gave us a year-over-year increase of $12 million as we recorded two dividends in Q2 2020 and only one in Q2 2021. The Canadian utilities contributed modestly to the growth with a higher contribution from the Maritime Link and Labrador Island Link projects and lower corporate interest expense as a result of our efforts to reduce corporate debt continued this quarter. On the non-regulated front, we continue to see better results at Emir Energy due to strengthen market pricing and increased volatility. These positive changes were partially offset by the impact of a stronger Canadian dollar and by slightly lower earnings at Tampa Electric, which experienced increased o and and depreciation, resulting from our continued investments in solar and Big Bend, And the effect of a regulatory settlement that led to an $8 million U.S. dollar amortization credit last year. Adjusting for the foreign exchange impacts and the amortization credit in 2020, Tampa Electric was modestly up quarter over quarter. Year-to-date increases in adjusted earnings per share of 22 cents were due to higher earnings in the gas, utilities, and infrastructure segment, as discussed a moment ago, and better results in marketing and trading. Lower interest expense in corporate OMG and the preferred share dividend timing also improved earnings in the first half of 2021 versus 2020. These increases over last year were partially offset by the impact of a stronger Canadian dollar, which negatively impacted our earnings by approximately $20 million or $0.08 cents in EPS. We continue to be partially heads to the remainder of 2021 at a rate of $1.42 for approximately $25 million per quarter. And we look to, uh, to layer on more hedges as foreign exchange rates return to normal levels, as we have seen recently. The recording of the amortization credit in Tampa Electric last year and the sale of Amer-Main added to approximately five cents or $14 million in earnings that we didn't have this year. And finally, higher share count reduced EPS by two cents in the quarter and five cents on a year-to-date basis. Overall, we are pleased with 2021 so far. Mira Mira Energy's Q2 mark-to-market loss had a material impact on reported earnings. Many of you will remember that we had a similar situation in 2016. I'm going to take a minute to give a refresher on what is going on here. Mira Energy has a number of asset management agreements, or AMAs, with gas and power utilities and natural gas producers where they buy or sell gas for a specific term and take a corresponding release of the counterparty's gas transportation or storage capacity. Mark to market adjustments on those AMAs arise when the, on the price difference between the point where the gas is sourced and where it is sold. At inception, the mark to market adjustment is fully offset by the value of the corresponding gas transportation asset. Of course, the gas prices change over the term of the AMA, which means the value of the transportation also changes. However, the two elements are accounted for differently. The gas is marked to market, and the transportation is amortized evenly over the term. This results in some net (laughs) mark-to-market gains or losses recorded in income. Ultimately, though, the gas transportation asset and the mark-to-market adjustment reduces to zero at the end of the contract term. It is important to emphasize that these arrangements have no actual economic market exposure because regardless of the difference in the value of the gas between the receipt and delivery points, Amira Energy has transportation capacity that enables it to move the gas to the point at which it is priced. Well, year-to-date we have seen a decrease in cash flow from operations before changes in working capital, it can be largely attributed to the significant increase in gas costs at New Mexico Gas related to Winter Storm URI. Adjusting for that cash flow impact, cash flow from operations before working capital was up slightly over last year. And looking forward, there are a number of events that have occurred recently that will positively impact operating cash flow going forward, both in terms of incremental cash and greater certainty around the cash flow that we've been expecting. As a point of reference, every $50 million of Canadian of cash flow improves our credit metrics by approximately 30 basis points. In Q2, we received regulatory approval for a mechanism to collect the $108 million of incremental fuel costs in New Mexico that we disclosed last quarter. Starting on July 1st of this year, we will collect the full amount plus carrying costs over a 30-month period. While simply timing this will have the effect of increasing operating cash flow over the following 30 months. This will provide 43 million us dollars in incremental cash flow in each of the next two years as well as an additional 22 million us dollars in the second half of 2021 this month we also received approval for our mid-course correction related to our fuel adjustment clause in tampa electric as approved it will provide for an additional 83 million us dollars in revenue over the remainder of 2021 and looking forward to 2022 we continue to make significant progress on improving our cash flow With the rate cases of our three U.S. utilities behind us, our corporate interest costs coming down, and the Maritime Link and Labrador Island Link soon contributing their full amounts, we will have a good line of sight to strengthening cash flow positioning going forward. And with that, I'll turn the presentation back over to Dave.
2: Thank you, Greg. This concludes the presentation. We would now like to open the call for questions from analysts.
1: Thank you. At this time, we would like to take any questions you might have for us today. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, simply press star, then the number one, on your telephone keypad. We have our first question from the line of Ben Fan from BMO. Please go ahead.
5: Hi. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, with the type settlement? Recognize you, you got to get seal approval for that, and you have to decision uh, on uh, the Mexico gas uh, fuel costs and, and Lil's coming in, do you, do you have uh, better confidence now in terms of where the cash flow is, is gonna go in 2022?
4: Uh good morning, Ben. It's Greg. Um we do. I mean I think we you know, I think it's fair to say we always had confidence. Certainly um the settlements that we reached are in alignment with what our expectations would have been and, and I I think it's fair to say what the expectations of the rating agencies would have been. So um um the target of twelve percent FFO CFO to debt in twenty twenty two is uh is very much uh um, achievable at this point in time.
5: Okay. And and I, when you he- when you actually uh, you head towards 2022, you have a step change in the Florida business and, and the cash coming in, do you, do you think you could be in a position where you can self-fund your CapEx program post 2022? I know there's a bit of drip still in the back end, but as, as you look forward, is that, there increasing probability of that?
4: Yeah, I I think that nothing's changed from, um, you know, our expectation of what our funding requirements are for the 21 uh, through the 23 period. We'll, of course, refresh that in the fall. Uh, when we also uh, refresh our capital forecast, but you know, at this point in time, we're we're committed to maintaining our drip at the at the level we are. The ATM program is is functioning quite well from uh, from our perspective, and and we'll continue to access that for you know probably in the fifty to sixty million dollars a quarter uh, on average going forward for the next at least the next couple of years.
5: Okay, and can, can you comment maybe high level? You think with like your capex program, just some. Advanced metering investments in there at is there is there more to go? Maybe just broad automation and and implementing uh, digital systems and whatnot. Is there is there more upside and opportunity for that in, in your plan?
3: Ben, you know, it's, I think broadly across the portfolio is you know, we continue to make investments to modernize the grid and and make investments in customer-facing technologies. Uh, yes, for sure, that'll be part of our, our CapEx plan um, uh, going forward. There's you know aspects of that, obviously, within the plan now. AMI smart meters have been, obviously, the most significant uh, part of that, the part that we've talked about. But there have been other components of that as, as well across the portfolio. And so for certain, that'll uh, continue to, uh, to be an important part of our capital program moving forward and part of the transition that, um, that we're driving as well.
5: Okay,
1: that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from the line of Mark Jarvie from CIBC Capital
6: Markets. Please go
1: ahead.
8: Thanks. Uh, good morning, everyone. just wanted to come back to, uh, to the question around the funding and now that you've got the settlement agreement. Um, maybe, Greg, when you look at that sort of uh, funding pie chart and you had equity at 15 to 25 percent, as it stands now, are you kind of trending towards that middle of, say, 20 percent equity when you talked about $50 million a quarter for the ATM? Um, is that sort of where you're guiding to in the midpoint um, of, uh, of the equity requirements you've flagged before?
4: Yeah, Mark, I'd say, you know,
7: I I don't think there's anything that would
4: necessarily suggest that we'd want to tighten that range. I I think that range for equity requirements over the three years is still appropriate. As I mentioned in response to Ben's question, you know, we'll we'll update that when we update our capital program later in the year. But at this point in time, um, you know, I think that's the most appropriate guidance for us to have out there.
8: Fair enough. And then coming to the um, Tampa, the fuel charge recovery. Was there a bit of a drag uh, in this quarter or last quarter in terms of just uh, carrying the higher fuel costs? I'm just wondering if on that $83 million uh, of higher revenue that comes through on, on the new rate, is any of that a bit of a catch-up or is that all just uh, adjusting to where uh, commodity costs are trending uh, more in the back half of this year?
4: Yeah, it's, it's a combination, Mark, of, of a catch-up for the first half of the year as well as capturing... Um, what we expect the incremental fuel costs would be above what's in the, the base fuel cost of
8: rates in the second half of the year as well. And Any way to sort of give us a little bit of uh, color in terms of how much of a, of a grind might have been on Tampa earnings uh, in the last quarter? Uh,
4: so it wouldn't have any impact on, on, on earnings at all, Mark, because it just flows through okay. the fuel clause? Okay. Fair enough.
8: Um, and, and my last question, just on the you know, the Muskrat Falls, the Nova Scotia block coming through now. Um, what's, what's sort of the backup plan if there was ever any unplanned outages on that, uh, or issues with your own transmission lines in terms of uh, obligations on uh, sort of renewable electricity, sort of mix commitments and stuff in terms of h- how you guys either would be exposed on any penalties or um, how you would fill in if there was ever any temporary losses in that power coming through.
3: Yeah, Mark, I'll I'll start, and then uh, Peter, I know, is on the phone, and he can uh, uh, sort of backfill uh, my my answer, but but broadly, you know, we expect now with the Nova Scotia block uh, flowing uh, that will also enable incremental energy beyond the Nova Scotia power uh, block also to flow, we expect that um, uh, that that will effectively uh, allow Nova Scotia power to procure the renewable energy that it uh, it needs, in addition to that, that's already being generated uh, natively here in uh, in the province, to be able to meet that meet that standard. But uh,
9: but Peter, over over to you to add any more clarity. Sure. Yeah, thanks, Scott, and I, Mark. Yeah, um, in terms of if if there were to be any transmission outages um, on that line, you know, and it's part of our reliability planning, we need to ensure we've got a portfolio of resources that's available to 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 fill in any gaps. Um, and so, you know, you see um, continuing, we'll continue to utilize our, our coal fleet as we shut those down over the next number of years. We've got gas facilities, we've got existing renewables, we've got hydro facilities, we've also got the tie line into, into New Brunswick. And so, you know, we've got options um, and that's what we do every day is plan for those contingencies to make sure we can provide a reliable source of power.
8: Okay. Thanks. Sir.
9: Thank
1: you. Our next question is from Maurice Choi from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
10: Thank you and good morning. Uh, my first question um, is on Tampa Electric. Uh, you are obviously open to go right to the end right on a fully litigated case but you were also willing to engage in the settlement, uh, which obviously was a route that you took. And you mentioned earlier that this agreement aligned with your expectations. But as you look at this package, holistically, can you discuss the puts and takes that led you to accept this settlement? And also how this deal may compare to the ones that your peers in Florida uh, also filed, do you go this year as well as FPL yesterday?
3: Yeah, thanks thanks for the question. Maurice, so Archie, maybe I'll
11: get you to answer the first part of that question, and then I'll I'll answer the second. Sure, very good. Thanks, Scott. Uh, good good morning, Maurice. Um, yeah, you know, so uh, Maurice, I think what your what your your first half of the question was: were were we prepared to go the full distance on a fully litigated rate case? And we absolutely were. Uh, the The team here. Uh, you know, was uh, was in, in parallel with the settlement we were working on, was busily prepping themselves for uh, for being on the witness stand during the hearing and preparing, filing testimony, et cetera, et cetera. So, we were fully prepared to go all the way, and we all and we felt good and continue to feel good about the uh, the strength of our case and the value that it represented for both customers and shareholders. Our interest in engaging in a settlement when that opportunity uh, was presented to us was really one of um, is you know is there a way for us to work through this and achieve an outcome that we believe is equal to if not better than what we might uh, what we might derive from a fully litigated settlement Um, and is there a way to do it that brings certainty to what the price increases will be for customers on the 1st of January of 2022? There are other reasons as well, you know, reputational and otherwise why we would have uh, saw fit to engage with the, uh, with all of the consumer parties. The deal, you know, the agreement that we ultimately reached is one we feel really good about for us as an organization and where we sit today. It is a, It is a settlement that represents a uh, a significant de-risking of our business. It it is a a prudency determination on all of the assets that we were seeking recovery for. It is 100% recovery on all of those assets, including those that we intend to retire. Um, So we we feel really good about what we have achieved. Uh, we it's, for us it certainly is is it is a platform for for growth all at a pace that we believe customers can afford uh and that it, that was an, that is an important element for us uh as we work through this settlement so you know when we look at the settlement, we look at it it's in its entirety as opposed to looking at any one element of it um, and, and 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 I say that because we look at it as an entire package of not just de-risking and an affordable pace and a platform for growth, but we also look at it from the perspective of doability. And, you know, we know what we negotiated, and we feel extremely confident uh, that the agreement that we have reached will allow – uh, allow Tampa Electric to perform in the higher end of that r o e range we don 't view the nine nine five uh midpoint as a midpoint. We view that quite frankly as a starting point and uh, and based upon what we have negotiated with the uh, consumer parties uh we are extremely confident that 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 is a starting point i i don 't want to comment on what other what others in uh, in the state have uh, have negotiated i mean yes fpl announced something yesterday and we haven't had a chance to work through that yet we wish them well uh through their you know through their process uh it does appear to have a pretty robust roe but without knowing the entire contents of the agreement it's really hard to get a sense of um of how it compares how the how the how their settlement uh with with a subset of their interveners compares to the settlement that we have achieved uh, with all of our consumer parties. Anything else, Scott?
3: No, I think, yeah, I think, I think that that covered it. And I think that largely answered the second question to Maurice. I think, you know, I think as Archie said, look, you know, what, what we, what we have in front of us, the settlement agreement that we have in front of us unanimously supported, I think it gives us a clear pathway to approval. There is of course a process that needs to go through with the, uh, Florida Public Service Commission, uh, but obviously with all of the intervening parties supporting that agreement, we have confidence uh, in uh, in the outcome, and this settlement agreement will allow us to deliver on our plans, our plans for our customers, and our plans uh, for uh, shareholders as well. So um, uh, I think you know that, I think that's really the the the, the right answer to uh, the question and and reference to you need to look at, at things as a whole package. Uh, which certainly uh, we've done and
10: we're happy with the settlement package that we've achieved. Thanks. And maybe just a follow-up um, to those comments, um, to 9.95 is your starting point and obviously the higher end is at 11 percent. Um, can you compare that expectation to what you've achieved for the last uh, few years? From from my recollection, it's probably around 10 percent um, or just above 10 percent. Um, but Happy to, to hear your thoughts on that.
4: Yeah, Maurice, it's Greg. I, I mean, I think it's fair to say that we probably, um, and, and you know, maybe one year might have been slightly higher than this, or one year slightly lower. But I think we've generally been in around 10 and a quarter to 10 and a half percent ROEs at Tampa Electric, and, and and you know, I think this uh, settlement in, in, its, in its totality probably positions us well that on average we would expect to kind of maintain that level of performance at the utility. Great. And and just my final question on the
10: investor day that you've scheduled for December, um, notwithstanding that you're obviously still waiting for a decision from the regulator in Florida, but what are are perhaps the two or three things that you're still waiting on over the next three or four months uh, in order to provide us uh, an update to the CapEx and funding plan?
4: Yeah, I, I wouldn't say there's anything, Maurice, uh, that we're waiting for from a regulatory perspective or anything like that. Um, we're just going through. It's a natural part of our planning cycle right now at Amira where we're going through and, uh, and reviewing capital plans with all of our businesses. And there's just some you know, internal work that needs that to get rolled up, and we review that with our board um, to, to make sure that we have their full support. And, and so it's really more of an internal process processing than, than anything else. Miss it. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Maurice.
1: Thank you. The next one we have from Rob Hope from Scotia Bank. Please go ahead.
12: Uh, morning, everyone. Just a follow-up question on the uh, TICO ROE. So, just just want to you know further kind of clarify our understanding here. Um, you know, how what are the key drivers that will move you kind of to the upper end of the band? And then through the agreement, do you think you'll kind of start towards the upper end and then, you know, as a little bit of rate lag uh, sets in, you could kind of drift lower to get you to that overall 10 and a quarter average?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think the greatest variability that we'll see um, over the next couple of years is is weather and load related, uh, Rob. Uh, Obviously, we're experiencing some customer growth, and we expect that to continue over the period, and with that customer growth, obviously, comes comes some load growth. Uh, We do have also step changes in in revenue in both uh, 23 and 24, which also helps. So, again, uh, on its whole, we would expect to maintain a a fairly consistent ROE profile with probably the variable being uh, weather and ultimately residential load as a result of that weather.
12: All right. Thanks for that. And then just in terms of your kind of capital outlook, um, you know, the opportunities under development that you've been talking about for some time that have, you know, we'll call it just under 200 million of potential capex this year and over 400 next year. You know, where are we in, in, in moving those opportunities from under development into the secured bucket?
4: Yeah, it's uh, well. It's, it's, you've heard us articulate before. About half of it is is projects related um, to the Atlantic Loop or, uh, or or direct investments in the Atlantic Loop, and, and as we said, we, we expect to have greater clarity and be able to provide some additional color around that um, in the fall of this year. Um, some some of the other projects, um, we're, I, I can't say we're seeing necessarily material changes in it. We are seeing some uh, progress in some of our utilities. New Mexico as an example where we're starting to look at gas storage as as an opportunity in reaction to what was experienced with uh, um, uh, winter storm URI. So there's a few things like that, Robert, but I I wouldn't say there's necessarily anything um, significant to, to call out for you. All
12: right. Thank you. Appreciate the call.
4: You're welcome.
1: Thank you. The next one we have from Linda Ezer gallis from PD Securities.
13: Thank you. A number of my questions have been answered, but maybe I'll um, switch the focus a little bit to your um, operating results. I'm wondering if you could give us a sense of the puts and takes in your operating expenses as it relates to any sort of inflationary pressures you're seeing versus any sort of uh, ongoing or new Uh, productivity initiatives, especially uh, perhaps leveraging uh, learnings from remote learning and adopting new technologies uh, during the pandemic?
4: Well, I I can start, Linda, and then maybe Scott can add on. It's a a big question. Uh, I can say on our kind of our day-to-day operating expenses, um, like if you think of kind of corporate expenses and things like that, we're, we're not really seeing any inflationary increases yet. But Although I'm not sure what the the level of activity would necessarily highlight that at this point in time, because clearly nobody's traveling and and some of those things. So we're still seeing a lot of benefits uh, from that side of it. Uh, I think, you know, how what we've experienced over the last year, how that will continue, I I think there's no question that the volume of travel, um, you know, some uh, conferences, things like that, investor conferences and things like that, I think... There's no question some of them will stay virtual, and I think we'll see some benefit uh, from from that side of it. Um, on, on our core operating utilities, um, again, minimal uh, impact so far, I would say, from an inflationary perspective. Maybe the area we're starting to see some is on things like poles and wires and kind of just the day-to-day maintenance uh, of our system. Um, but, you know, we're still... You know, fortunately, we're a cost of service utility. Those inevitably get passed through to customers. Uh, A lot of our costs are are labor and labor related uh, costs uh, that are, um, you know, uh, through agreements with uh, unionized workforces. Um, You know, interest rates are are certainly being helpful. So I'd say collectively as a whole, it's something we're watching, but it's not something that we've seen any kind of uh, impact on our financial results to date.
3: Yeah, and I think in terms of in terms of cost efficiencies, Linda, you know, you know, I think sort of remote remote aspect of uh, of, of, of work, um, you know, I'm not sure that it would point to anything of of, of notable scale there. But where we are certainly seeing some efficiencies is we continue to invest in, um, in 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 cleaner energy things like you know the conversion of uh, coal units to uh, natural gas-fired units. Uh, drives a lot of operating cost efficiency the um, the labor component of, of, of running a gas plant is much less than that of of running um, a coal plant and then the same again when you think about uh, renewables so you know we're seeing we're seeing those kinds of, of, um, of efficiencies as well the uh, the impact of, uh, of technology smart meters and um, and the impact there of taking away some of the manual processes that were Required not just the reading of, of meters, um, as uh, as was required in in Nova Scotia, for example, but even the ability to remote disconnect and reconnect without needing to roll a truck uh, in order to uh, to perform that service. So you know we're seeing those kinds of, of, of efficiencies that the business is uh, is benefiting from, and and that's a you know an ongoing focus area for us uh, for sure.
13: Thank you. And as a follow on, um, recognizing it's not a significant part of your uh, business, but um, it is one of the more variable aspects, your Energy. I'm wondering if you can give us a sense of uh, whether some of the hot weather we've been seeing recently this summer uh, has translated into... uh, market dislocations and opportunities Q3 to date, uh, and any sort of uh, visibility or observations uh, for the balance of the year beyond Q3 would be uh, helpful context.
0: So, Linda, Judy, good morning. Um, so, I guess I'll get the answer to the second one first. Uh, we are having a much better year in 2021 than we had in 20 or 19. So I feel comfortable saying that we will be in our expect to be with, in our earnings range, which is 15 to 30 million dollars U.S. Um, I would say we're hopeful to be toward the higher end there, but you know the reality is about 40% of the year still kind of happens in November and December. So um, I can't kind of I can't predict that as as confidently as I can say that we certainly will be within the range. Um, there hasn't been there's been a little, July has been okay, but not certainly not as sweet as June was I guess is how I would describe it it's been hot in, hot in the west but less so in kind of in our prime territory, not bad just not, um, not too exciting
13: That's helpful context, thank you and um, maybe just as another quick follow on, recognizing that um, your annual planning process needs to run its course. I'm just wondering how any sort of conversations with both your equity and debt investors are informing your thoughts going into that process around. A potentially expanded uh, investor base. Uh, are you seeing some of your sustainability initiatives and reporting and targets uh, translating into uh, potentially uh, broader access to new classes of investors, or potentially uh, shifting your investor base a little bit? Any any context around that would be helpful.
3: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Would necessarily. I mean, it's an interesting question, Linda. I'm not sure. I'd necessarily say we've seen a. A, a really notable shift or extension, but I would say that, you know, we've been getting really good feedback from existing investors and prospective new investors who uh, are, are focused in the ESG space around our disclosure, around the language that we're using as it relates even to our, our carbon Reduction uh, initiatives and uh, and efforts and look we've been working hard to try and tell the story better I think we've had we've had a good story to tell for a long time. We just haven't uh, really focused on on, on on telling it as well as we have in the last um, year or two and and making steps that we did to um, to really bring some um, uh, Robustness to our sustainability report the most recent one uh, issued about a month ago uh, now are are not just telling a story about the carbon reduction um, uh, efforts that have already been achieved, but but what our plans and our goals are moving forward as part of our climate commitments. Um, uh, and you know, I think frankly, being uh, candid uh, with with our investors around you, you know our, our our visibility to achieving an 80% reduction by 2040 but the net zero um, uh, component of our climate commitment being more, more visionary, more of an ambition uh, without the ability to have perfect line of sight as to how that could be achieved affordably as we sit uh, today. So I think, um, I think all those messages uh, have resonated and you know I think frankly, uh, within our two largest emitters, Nova Scotia Power and Tampa Electric, just even the clarity of the significant progress that both have already made in terms of carbon reduction Um, I think, has been uh, something that uh, shareholders have welcomed more clarity around the significance of the achievements already made.
13: Thank you. I'll jump back in the queue.
4: Thanks, Linda.
1: Thank you. Our next question is from Andrew Guske from Credit Suisse. Your line is open.
14: Thank you. Good morning. Uh, Your renewable power generation exposure has largely been tied to your rate-based activities and your utility businesses uh, in several jurisdictions, what appetite do you have to either build or acquire renewables outside of a regulated framework?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, Andrew, it's a, good, it's a really good question. and Of course, one that we've asked um, ourselves about. I think, you know, we continue to be comfortable with uh, with our approach, obviously, of um, uh with, a, with an eye on the pace of investment, given its impact on affordability, uh, but is uh, to uh, really focus on the um, transition of, um, of, of our generation base inside um, our regulated utilities uh, towards, uh, towards renewables. Looking at, at it outside of, of our regulated service territories, you know, we do, we do look, look at it, we do think about it. Of course, our, our efforts with the Mira technologies uh, today is is in a way a part of of, of that in terms of looking at how uh, distributed um, renewable generation and backup um, uh, uh, storage, uh, battery storage can be part of a, a system, whether that's inside our service territories or in in the service territories uh, of, uh, of others. Um, so that you know that today would be our primary focus, um, but it's you know it's an area that. Uh, that we've looked at, um, but primary our focus is rate-based investments of renewables uh, and continuing to push along our block energy concept uh, that uh Amira Technologies has, uh, has developed.
14: So that, that, that's very helpful context. And so maybe it, it's just really a function of you have so much growth within the embedded rate basis and you're trying to avoid rate shock. And that's really the focus right now because it's effectively captive solar efforts, for example, in Florida.
3: Yeah, exactly right. And, and, you know, we look at the risk return trade off and in, in doing something outside of, of uh, the investment opportunity profile that we have now. And, and so we keep directing our capital towards those areas where we think the risk return uh, balance is, uh, is most in favor of our shareholders. Uh,
14: one small question and maybe a bit of a blast from the past, uh, but also ties into the renewable power side of things and really just on tidal power. Are there any initiatives going on on the tidal power side at this point in time?
3: Not, not, not by us. You know, I know the province uh, here in Nova Scotia continues to look at it, but, um, but no, we've, uh, you know, we've, we've obviously taken two kicks at at, at that, and, um, and it's a really interesting uh, concept, but it's, you know, it's a long way from being. Uh, commercial and so our, our, as I say, our capital continues to be focused on those places where the risk-return profile is to uh, to the best advantage of, of shareholders and so that's not an area that we're per- currently pursuing.
14: Okay,
5: thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next question is from David Gazada from Raymond James. Please go ahead.
15: Thanks. Morning, everyone. Uh, my first question here, just on um, Maritime Link. I believe there's a comment in the MDNA that you have the uh, uh, the potential to purchase additional power from NALCOR under an uh, energy access agreement. Just curious, what would cause you to exercise that, and and how you could make use of it, potentially, I guess, uh, flexibility on the cap and trade program or requirements in in Nova Scotia.
3: Peter, are you comfortable to answer that?
9: Yeah, I think Rick can Rick can add as well. Uh, hi, David. I think you know it's certainly an option. And as we look to decarbonize our resource fleet, um, if it makes um, sense economically to to expand um, that source of power when you compare it to to other options, um, I would say it is an option for us to to uh, further decarbonize as, as we shut down coal. Um, but we'll judge that based on, you know, how it stacks up to other options. As Scott mentioned before, as we decarbonize, you know, the most important thing for us is that we do that in an affordable way. So it would need to be a cost-competitive option um, for us.
3: Yeah, I think, I think Peter said it right, David. I mean, it really is, a, it is a, it's something that's available to Nova Scotia Power if it's in the best economic interests of its customers. And so it's got that option to procure that energy, um, but if it can procure uh, other energy uh, or generate other energy for uh, for uh, less cost, then um, then it will do. Then it will do that. It really provides that incremental benefit to uh, Nova Scotia Power, uh, power's planning, and uh, Nova Scotia Power customers as it relates to uh, cost and affordability of uh, of energy moving forward. So, um, I think that. That's probably the best way to describe it. Rick, was there anything else that you'd like to add? I wasn't sure if you were on or not, Rick. So. No, no, you've both covered it. Thank you.
15: Okay, great. Great, thank you for that color. appreciate it. And then maybe just one kind of uh, uh, higher-level question in the U.S. Um, just wondering if you have any thoughts on uh, how a potential clean energy standard uh, federally uh, could, could affect things or, or, I guess, create opportunities maybe even uh, – cross your footprint
3: yeah I think you know the way I, I describe it David is look you know we we have enough as a regulated utility through regulation we have an obligation to produce for customers the cheapest electron that is compliant to whatever the rules and regulations and legislation uh, exists in in that environment and so you know the uh, renewables that Nova Scotia Power has been investing in over the last few years have been part of that journey to meet the 40% renewable requirement that uh, that was set provincially. Here, the renewables that are are being uh, invested in in Florida um, uh, have have been made on the basis that that they are the most cost-effective uh, sources of energy. Uh, for um, uh, for uh, the the overall mix for for Tampa Electric. So, to the extent that there is a renewable standard that's imposed, it's another um, uh, it's another consideration. It's another factor as it relates to the generation planning for uh, for Tampa Electric. If, if it's a U.S. based or Florida based standard, um, that that may change, i.e., accelerate the pace of of investment uh, in order to produce that. Um, cheapest uh, electron that is compliant with uh, with regulation. So it it would be directionally positive, but in the moment, um, you know, Tampa Electric continues to um, to decarbonize its, its 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 fleet, both with uh, things like Big Bend modernization and the investment in renewables, because it's in customers' best interests uh, now, even before consideration of a renewable energy standard. So uh, it's not holding us back from uh, from doing the right thing for customers today. Um, if there was a change, obviously, Camp Electric would uh, factor that into its own planning, and that might cause an acceleration. Uh, but we also want to make sure that we're balancing affordability for customers uh, at all times, and, um, and that would be part of the planning as well.
15: Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Scott.
1: Thank you. Our next question is from Darius Lozny from Bank of America. Please go ahead.
16: Hi, good morning. Thank you for taking my question. Um, Just wanted to clarify and and follow up on the inflation comments from earlier, specifically as it relates to your solar initiatives in Florida. Um, Are you seeing much as far as inflationary pressures on uh, the prices of panels or things like that? Or it sounded like maybe the answer is no, but I'll I'll let you uh, respond there. Archie?
11: Yeah, happy to take that. Uh, Good morning, Darius. We're not seeing any inflation on the panels because uh we would have purchased those in advance. We have a long term agreement with first solar at fixed pricing that goes out for the full term of the construction period and that uh that goes beyond just the panels it goes to the inverters the trackers uh and and other and other elements that we had to safe harbor as part of that uh of the of those investments in order to secure the investment tax credit so we're seeing some inflation on things like uh the steel that's used for the posts and some other smaller aspects of the projects, but nothing substantive that, uh, that changes the economics of uh, of those investments.
16: Okay. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, and one more, if I can, just uh, now that you've, uh, the, Regul- regulated outlook is relatively de-risked following the proposed settlement in Florida. Just curious, how you're thinking about your dividend now, in, in the near term and the intermediate term, as far as uh, the growth or potentially the payout ratio. Um, just curious, how you're how you're thinking about it.
3: Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't think we're thinking about it any differently today than we than we were um, uh, last week or or last year, and. Uh, you know, obviously, the um, uh, any change in the dividend is always a purview of, of a board of board of directors. Uh, but it's typically a, a discussion that we have on an annual basis, typically uh, in the uh, in the fall. Um, and look, when we you know when we set the uh, dividend uh, growth uh, target um, at the level that it currently is, we did that with with an eye to the long term as to what we believed was uh, sustainable over the uh, over the long term of course our guidance period will be adjusted from time to time but um, but really had a you know a, a view as to what do we believe the earnings growth potential of the business is on an EPS basis um, and looking to ensure that you know we see an earnings growth potential that exceeds the rate of growth of the dividend over the long term and you know that's uh, how and why the, um, uh, the dividend growth uh, uh, target of four to five percent was was set a few years ago and and uh, you know we continue to look through that uh, lens um, and with that outlook uh, today as we have before.
16: Excellent. thank you very much. I'll, I'll leave it there.
1: Thank you. I am showing no further questions at this time. Mr. Scott. Balfour, please continue.
3: Okay, so uh, thank everybody for participating in the, uh, in the call, and we look forward to uh, our uh, call up as part of the third quarter. wish everybody a healthy and safe balance of the summer.
1: Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.
6: my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating and remember for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.